name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Uh, some of the most memorable events of our Lord's trips to Jerusalem are recorded for us uh, in the second and third chapter of the Gospel of John. There's that first account of his cleansing the temple, which, by the way, uh, the text states uh, was during the uh, Passover. Uh, and, and there's then that mysterious conversation with Nicodemus in which he spoke of the new birth, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of heaven. And who can forget uh, that Jesus at that time compared himself to the serpent that Moses lifted up in uh, the wilderness. He left Jerusalem after that conversation, and in chapter 4, he meets the woman at Jacob's well, and then he returns to Cana, where uh, 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 he healed the son of the government official at a distance. Remember that? We talked about that just a few weeks back. Uh, then Jesus returned to Jerusalem for another feast, and the text is very clear, not the Passover. Uh, and uh, that's when he healed the crippled man by the pool that uh, was called Bethesda. Uh, and the Pharisees were offended, if you remember, uh, that he had healed the man on the Sabbath. And I have to admit, Jesus looked to me like he was going there to pick a fight anyway. Uh, check that text out. Uh, and then, uh, after that, the Pharisees began this program of harassment against Jesus because in their words, and this too is in John, he made himself equal to God. Their words. He left Jerusalem again, and at some point he went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, where that multitude followed him that we have presented for us today. And we have again the textual information that says, now the Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Uh, and that is evidence, uh, I submit to you, that one full year has passed uh, between John 2.13 and chapter 6, which contains this text that I'm preaching from today. Are y'all with me? Do we need to open the windows and cool things off? You need coffee? Everybody's okay? Okay. Well, that's appropriate that it's been one year because today is, uh, uh, because next Sunday we uh, uh, mark the first day of Advent and today we have, uh, are marking the end of this uh, uh, Christian year. With a new one beginning next week, a whole year has passed now in the life of this little Catholic parish uh, at All Saints. I pointed out in the past that we, uh, the Church of God, we mark time differently from the world, uh, and we are about to embark, as I say, upon a new church year in just a few days. While other nations and kingdoms and cultures have uh, fixed the rhythm of their life to the waxing and waning of nature's seasons or to a physical year, uh, we have taken our common rhythm not from nature, not from our earnings, but from the historic life of Christ our Lord. And so we begin with Advent which centers upon his nativity, always mindful that saturating our, celebra our celebration of Advent is the incarnation. Uh, it might seem natural uh, since we begin the church year next week with the man of heaven descending and entering into the natural world through his mother uh, that we would end 
the year, which would be this Sunday, with the Ascension. But that's not what we do. It seems natural that we would do that, but we don't. Why not? Because the story doesn't end with our Lord's Ascension. Ten days after His Ascension, the Father sent the Holy Spirit and the church was born. And frankly, since that time, we have been living in the last days. The church has a God-given mission to fulfill that our Lord gave us just at His Ascension where he said, Go in ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. When that work is done, to the pleasure of the Father, then the fullness of time will have come, and Christ, the man of heaven, will again descend from his Father's abode, and the world, as we know it, will come to an end. Christ will return to judge the living and the dead and then to celebrate what is foreshadowed over and over again in the Gospels, namely the great marriage feast of the Lamb. And that will be our true homecoming. Uh, the last enemy, death, will die. We will be with our friends, loved ones, who are with our Lord. Uh, already and we will all serve him in a new earth uh, which also will be raised from corruption to incorruption at our Lord's second advent ours will be a universe at peace with our creator a peace, a state of being uh, that may be best understood as prayer being at prayer will grow into being a prayer itself. Uh, that is, worship will go from something that we do to something that we are. The prayers of the saints, both living and dead, not dead, but with our Lord, uh, are already working a wonder in us right now, forming us and shaping us into a state of being one great Eucharistic prayer to the Blessed Trinity. John Wesley, uh, uh, an excellent priest and, uh, and uh, hymnist, wrote this. I think it was John. It was either John or his brother uh, that wrote this hymn. You all know, finished uh, then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation. That's what he's referring to there is this, this this, this uh, eschatological futuristic state, future state where we are with our Lord and, 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 and everyone in a renewed universe. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee, that is in our Lord himself. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost and wonder, love and praise. That last verse really does sum it up because that's what we're headed for, to be lost in wonder, love, and praise of God the Blessed Trinity. As we feast upon the Eucharist, we are becoming what we eat and we worship the Blessed Trinity. We are created, we created, recreated into that which we love individually 
and as a community. Are y'all with me? You're still with me. I need the air conditioning on. Okay, we do not need the air conditioning on because I'm warming up. <laughs> After Christ's judgment of the living and the dead, the distinction between being and doing will vanish as the children of God actually become the habits and the virtues and the charity and especially as they actually become the Eucharistic prayer made of resurrected flesh. Prayer is at the heart of the heart of Jesus and therefore prayer is at the heart of the heart of the church. Prayer is the means of everything for us. Uh, prayer is the means of our participation in the life of God. It, prayer is how we commune, how we communicate. And it's the means of our community with both God and with one another. Prayer embodies our trust and our loyalty to God. Prayer embodies and manifests our complete dependence upon God as well as our unwillingness to set out on our own as though we already know what's good for us. And, and we know that that's not accurate. Those who have lived as long as I have, anyway, we know that that's a big mistake. Prayer is a way that we know the will of God, and prayer is the only way that we will ever abide in the will of God. Everything Jesus taught Nicodemus, every promise that he made to the woman at the well, every healing, every act of mercy and forgiveness was either about prayer or it was a result of prayer. We are all in the process of being fitted for heaven or not. We are what we eat and we are beginning, begin, we are becoming what we practice and therefore when uh, we receive the body and the blood of Christ with thanksgiving, uh, we practice and we practice prayer. We are becoming uh, what our Lord wishes and prays for us to become. So we practice prayer publicly and we practice prayer privately without ceasing. That brings us to the text for the sermon. Ha ha, don't worry. Don't worry, calm down. This, I only have three pages left, and we've been through five. When Jesus took the loaves, and we had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise the fishes, as much as they would. And he still had food left over at the end of this. There's more that... We can learn from this passage and we'll know until we see our Lord face to face. But I offer to you three self-evident lessons. Lesson number one. When Jesus had given thanks. That is when Jesus had made Eucharist. Which is what that word means. It simply means given thanks. Giving thanks. He provided for his disciples more than they could use up. The fact that Jesus prayed Eucharistically and that he gave thanks at the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes was not unusual. That's the way he lived. So much so that that phrase giving thanks or Eucharist was and is universally understood that it means that he prayed. Uh, and he prayed without ceasing. And the child of God should then imitate Christ 
and give thanks in all things and before all things, especially before he or she blazes some new trail or thought uh, uh, that's thought to be uh, important and necessary. I say this because we're coming upon a new year and new years always bring about resolutions and thoughts and plans for the future. All of these thoughts and plans and actions we lay before Christ uh, in prayer with thanksgiving, seeking his will for our life. Prayer is everything. Uh, John Wesley said, uh, God does absolutely nothing without the prayers of the saints. And he didn't mean that God was dependent upon the prayers of the saints. That's ridiculous. He isn't. But as a matter of fact, he does nothing apart from the prayers of the saints because that's what he wants to do. Father Sean and I pray for you all uh, and, and, and for our bishop and other clergy in this diocese constantly. So does Father Dan and Father Gene. We pray for this parish every day at morning prayer and in our evening prayer. And at the daily mass on Monday through Saturday, we pray for you and your family by name at the altar. And I know you pray for me. I know you pray for Father Sean and Father Dan and Father Gene. And we depend upon those prayers. One day, I will stand before Christ. I know this to be true. I will stand before Christ to give an account of my sacerdotal activity in this parish. And I will be held accountable for each one of you by name. As I would be held accountable for my own child. And that is a sobering thought. But listen, another sobering thought is that my prayers for you do not take the place of your own prayers. And my very real accounting on the last day of my shepherding this flock and each of you will not take the place of your personal accounting that you will give to our Lord Jesus Christ on the last day. Are y'all with me? Secondly, second lesson, there'll always be that voice sometime from within the church itself and even your own family that speaks in purely natural terms, and that's the phrase I want you to get. There's this voice that only sees the natural. And so that voice declares, but what are they among so many? From a natural point of view, 200 denarii could not begin to feed 5,000 men and women and children uh, uh, not, uh, uh, from a, a purely natural point of view, five barley loaves would do even less than that. But what are they among so many? That voice will always be there. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that you need to be careless. We always need to be attentive, intelligent, reasonable, and responsible. But we do not need to heed that voice of discouragement that you can count on uh, being in your life our Lord Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks he distributed to his disciples and the disciples of them that were set down and likewise the fishes and they ate as much as they wanted and they still had food left over because Jesus gives us more than what we need the third and last uh, uh, the uh, third and last point that I want you to remember is this uh, Jesus does not honor 
Jesus does not honor the will to power. He is not at the beck and call of those who possess clout uh, and influence in this world. Our world caters to the powerful who possess social and political influences. I had a, uh, many years ago, a parishioner said to me, we need to win the powerful to Christ, and then they'll influence other powerful people, and think about what we can do for Jesus then. Now, this is just silly, isn't it? To think, about, to think in, in those terms, uh, as, as though the powerful have more to offer to Jesus than this little boy. It's not the voice of Christ. Uh, this I, I will guarantee you. In whatever uh, communities you inhabit uh, in your life. Uh, a sure shortcut. Uh, to go from being a somebody. Uh, in the eyes of this world to being a nobody uh, is to take Jesus seriously and behave that way. Just try it. Or try in, in your in your line of work <clears throat> or in the other communities. Or sometimes in your own family. Uh, where were the wealthy? Where were the powerful? Uh, 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 with open-handed generosity. Uh, in, in this time to feed these people. Uh, I can tell you where they were. They weren't there. They were back there in Jerusalem, the, what they considered the center of influence, uh, trying to be a somebody uh, in their own eyes and in the eyes of this puny world that we live in. It was that little boy, a nobody, with no power and no influence, who offered up all that he had. And that's all you have to do. <laughs> that's all Jesus wants. He, he just wants everything from you. Offer him all you have. A few loaves and a few fishes. I have three, uh, I have actually four words of pastoral advice. One paragraph, not even a hundred words. Uh, Pastoral advice for this new year. Uh, number one, say your prayers. Uh, and if you have not been saying your prayers, start saying your prayers. Use Book of Common Prayer. Uh, any of us, any priest or clergy, uh, others will be happy to show you, if you haven't done that, how, how to do it. Uh, <clears throat> number two, attend Holy Communion every Sunday. And during, Lent, uh, during Advent, try to attend the daily Mass once a week. Uh, and make time for short devotion in your life. Uh, number three, don't base your life on the person who says, but what are they among so many? Get away from that person, because you're not going to influence them either, let me tell you that. You're not going to change their mind, so get away from them. And number four, instead of wasting your time trying to be a big shot and a somebody, Try being a nobody for the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.